previously on the Redemption podcast. And can you tell us about this letter that you received? Um, I'd come back to myself from work. I was a program clerk. So I worked at night. And uh, I got back to my cell, and my cellie had told me I had a letter. It was on my bed. So I did my usual routine, got ready for bed, and climbed up on my bunk and uh, picked up the letter. Didn't recognize the name or the address on it. Um, about the time I got done with the first paragraph of the letter, I had realized it was from Charlene Heinemann's daughter, Mariah. And, and it was like getting kicked in the chest. Uh, I read the first paragraph. I realized who it was from, and I put the letter down. I couldn't read it no more. This is the Redemption Podcast, brought to you by Westwood Westwood. And I'm Johnny Kovach. And I'm Ariella Kozen. Jason lived through a childhood filled with abuse and neglect. He was homeless, a drug addict, he murdered a woman, served over two decades in prison, and survived multiple near-fatal brawls. Once he finally asked for help, he met with a psychologist, made the choice to turn his life around, and through programming, earned his parole. Looking back on his life, it seemed a million years ago that he was that kid hiding fajita mix under the bathroom sink because he didn't know when his next meal would come. And then, just a few months prior to his release, he received the letter from Mariah Lucas, his victim's daughter. Uh, By the time I was done with the letter, I already made up my mind that I would meet with her. But Jason had to take things one day at a time, and that meant making it through his last night of incarceration. The last night in prison, I didn't sleep. I knew I wasn't going to. Um, My cellmate at the time was, I don't know, he'd been down four or five years just starting a life sentence. And so I was trying real hard not to talk too much about getting out and all the things I, you know, this guy's just starting a life sentence. Um, so I didn't want to seem like I was rubbing it in or anything, but he was actually really supportive and glad that I was getting out. Um, didn't sleep at all. The next day, um, I was waiting and waiting for him to call me to R&R, which is receiving and release. That's where you go. When you come in and when you go out, that's where you go through. November 9th, almost five months after he was found suitable for release, Jason took a bus out of Salinas Valley. He was free. All he had to his name, $200 in gate money from the prison. He had a change of clothes, a pair of Levi's and a red flannel, bought for him by a man in a show of gratitude. As Jason explained, two other inmates had gone after this guy with a knife, and Jason 
who now describes the act as incredibly stupid, jumped into the fight to defend him. What was your first day out like? Um, my first night out, I got to LA after 11 o'clock um, on the Greyhound. Uh, I was picked up by a volunteer from Francisco Homes. Uh, he took me to Koreatown and I was sitting out in front of a coffee shop drinking a cappuccino at midnight in Koreatown, just watching the traffic go by. Uh, afterwards, uh, we actually went to his apartment. Uh, the reason being was I was supposed to go to the Amity program, but it was too late to go in. So uh, I actually spent the night at his house the first night. Um, he heated me up a big plate of pasta. That was my first meal out. Um, and uh, the next morning I went to the parole office, checked in and went to Amity and been there ever since. My goals when I got out were really the basic ones. Uh, get a job, you know, just, just basically put my life together and start trying to be productive. He also had another significant goal, to finally meet Mariah. Before he was released, Jason had made two copies of her letter. He gave one to the warden and another to Javier Starring, the Executive Director of Healing Dialogue and Action, or HDA. HDA's mission is to bring people together wounded by violence and broken criminal justice systems. Participants share their stories and listen deeply with open hearts. They accompany each other in healing the harm caused by violent crime, a main tenet of restorative justice. This is exactly what Javier sought to facilitate between Jason and Mariah. On December 27th, Jason and Mariah were set to meet for the first time. We spoke to Javier about his involvement in this specific case. Some cases aren't approved for victim offender dialogue. Why did you think their meeting would work? Jason had been leading, facilitating victim awareness programs inside prison for a number of years. He had done uh, an incredible amount of self-help work. He had done a, an incredible amount of reflection and processing inside prison prior to hearing from Mariah. And then Mariah, she had come to this place in her life where she felt like she needed to expressed to Jason that she forgave him for her own healing. So her feeling was, this is like a final step that I need to take in my healing journey to let Jason know that, uh, that I forgave him. I was impressed by both of them. Jason, uh, I met with him, I think he's been out about a week or so, and I met with him at the ARC office and we spend a few hours together and uh, 
he really just expressed his desire to do whatever Mariah felt would be helpful to her. So when I was describing, you know, how victim offender dialogues can go, things can happen, and asking him, you know, what would he feel comfortable doing or answering and what he wouldn't feel comfortable doing, uh, he said, whatever she wants is uh, what I want to do. And I remember asking him, well, do you have any concerns or any, you know, are, are you worried about anything? And he goes, the only concern I have is that I wouldn't be able to meet her expectations. He was totally just willing to uh, whatever he could give, regardless of what the act was. Can you talk about meeting Mariah for the first time? With Mariah, like I said, I, I met her with her family, so with her three children and her husband. And again, you know, it was just being in awe of somebody who was so empathetic towards Jason without even having met him. Already, you know, she was expressing that she just wanted to uh, be able to support him in his transition back into society. And at that time, she also talked to me about how she wanted to see if she could make this her life's work, helping people come back from incarceration. I tried to, you know, dig a little deeper to see if maybe it felt like she was uh, covering things or, or not dealing with emotions that would come up later. Because she said that she never felt any anger towards him. And I said, well, how is that? And, and she attributed to the fact that she was so young at the time that her mom was murdered, right? But she didn't really miss the person, her mother, because she didn't know her. When they came into the room to meet each other for the first time, I was sitting to the side in case they needed support from me in any way. But uh, they did not. They hugged as soon as they walked into the room. Mariah also discussed her first meeting with Jason. What were you feeling leading up to meeting him? Were you fearful? Not a single ounce of fear. Um, There was a question in my mind of what would I do if he hasn't changed and decides to come after me? But it wasn't fear. It was more like inquisitive, like, ooh, do I get to jump somebody? <laughs> you know, do I get to, do I get to, you know, use my uh, self-defense mechanisms and take him out, you know? But it was like a fraction of a second momentary lapse in judgment kind of thing, you know? Um, I was never afraid. I was more afraid that it was going to be too much for him to handle emotionally. That was where my mind was at was. God, please let Jason be able to deal with this and not let it affect him in a way that is going to make him want to go out and do drugs. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted him to have physical and mental stability after our meeting. Think about that. Her mother was murdered, and yet Mariah was more concerned for everyone else's mental state. As a mother of three, that was the nurturing side of her.
describe what happened when you met him. I walked into the door and he was sitting in the chair facing me. And my first react, like my first reaction was walk over to him and hug him. So that was what I did. Walked into the room, walked over to him and hugged him. And he just like sobbed into my shoulder. Um, because who does that? <laughs> who introduces himself with a hug, you know, after, you know, how we were connected and stuff. But, um, I was just thankful. Um, I don't really, there's no other word to explain it. I was just super thankful that I had that opportunity because no one has that opportunity. Like very little people have the opportunity to face the person who drastically changed their life and do it in a positive way. Every now and then you'll hear a story like the woman who met her, the guy who shot her at a gas station after he was released from prison and stuff. But I just felt so inclined to like be there for him. You know what I mean? Cause he doesn't have family. He, all he has is the people in his home and the organizations that we work with. But he doesn't have that one person that he can honestly say, you know, I can rely on her. You know, I can I trust her with my life kind of thing. And that's what I wanted to be for him. So it was just full of emotion and really, I don't know, I guess it just kind of opened my heart to, you know, so many other people that I can do that for. It was positive emotion. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was... Um, even when he was like, you know, because I had asked him what, you know, what he did and how he did it. And it was like a little trickle of a tear. But for the most part, it was just like, I'm so sorry that you have to go through this again just because, like, I, I need to know, you know, how it did it. But, um, yeah, just super positive for him because you could tell that he's a completely different person. I mean, night and day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could just feel it being in the room with him. He just has such a... I mean, you know, you've met him. He's such a humble and calm and serene presence about him. It's just hard to have anything but positive emotions. Their first interaction was the beginning of a long and close friendship. What happened after your initial meeting? After everybody being completely and totally emotionally wrung out, um, we needed food. <laughs> so we went out to a pasta place for dinner, and she was my ride to the restaurant. Um, it's like after all this was done, uh, you, you can't go through something like that without you know, all parties involved being touched or moved in some way. It's really profound, but um, it, it was weird. It was, we were we were comfortable with one another afterwards. She had known me her whole life. She knew who I was her whole life. I had no idea who she was until she wrote me that letter. And then I knew exactly who she was. Um, you know, and like I said, she told me about her life. I told her about mine. Um, and, and we were comfortable with one another after that. And we've built kind of a, I'm not going to say kind of, but we've built a solid friendship. Um, from that point, we, uh, um, you know, we contact each other regularly. You know, she checks up on me. All, 
She checks up on me all the time through text to make sure I'm doing good. Uh, she looks out for me, uh, make sure I'm doing good all the time. We were in Sacramento together uh, last week talking to members of the Congress and the Senate, their, their legal aid and stuff about some upcoming bills and stuff that are coming up. Um, we have future plans to um, go and speak at some prisons that sh uh, she's spoken at already and uh, speak to some people at those. When I mentioned to people that I was going to interview you, a lot of them couldn't understand why you'd agree to do the interview. What do you have to say to those people? I think the first thing that I want people to know is that um, forgiveness is possible. Anybody could do it. I'm, I'm no one special. I'm certainly not anything great or, you know, worth, uh, worthy of acknowledgement or anything like that. I'm just a normal person. I'm a 25-year-old mother of three. I got pregnant at 18. I am just a normal person. And I did something for someone that changed their lives. And we see it all the time, you know, small acts of kindness. And that was what mine was. That was what mine was intended to be, was just a small act of kindness to lift a heavy burden off of someone's shoulders. So a lot of people ask me why I want to be in communication with Jason. And this is where it gets selfish, I guess. Um... I want to ensure that he's capable of living a happy life. Um, you know, my mother wasn't here to watch me grow up. She's not here to, you know, be a part of my wedding, to see the birth of my children. But Jason has that opportunity. He has that opportunity to create a family. He's still young and, you know, the grand scheme of things, people have kids in their 40s all the time. He's capable of having them. And why take it away from two people when one person's already had that taken away from them? I think that the things that Jason has learned spending 23 years and five months in prison is something that a lot of people will never get the chance to learn. You know, he's seen some horrible things. He's done some horrible things. Um, but how many of us can honestly say that we've never hurt anybody? Whether it be something so, you know, small and simple as cutting somebody off on the freeway. Like we've all done something to change somebody's life and maybe even in the most insignificant way. We wanted to end the podcast with final thoughts from Jason and Mariah. The reason I want to be part of the Redemption podcast is... There's so much of this happening out there right now, and it's not being talked about. There's two sides to every coin. And uh, at the very least, I hope to at least get the conversation started about redemption and what is possible. And when I've told certain people I'm meeting with someone who's committed murder, they can't believe it. They can't fathom that Jason's actually a good person. I think he's so special. I wouldn't even say special. Um, he is, but something that I've learned in the organizations that I work with, there are a lot of Jasons.